Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Zojo. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Brianna Wu, game developer, and Christina Woo. Warren, senior adv- cloud advocate for Microsoft. Really? Really? It's been multiple years, <laughs> and I'm... <laughs> You're still stumbling. I well, I b- what this means is that I need to get a promotion so that yeah, you'll have to learn something new. This is really what this means. It's, and you know what I think it is, Brie. I think because yes. you're a developer now. Yes, my brain remembers her previous title of senior cloud developer advocate and goes, "Hey, wait, you're saying it wrong. You shouldn't say developer, <laughs> but I I should." <laughs> anyway, so before we st- before we start the show this week, I have a bone to pick with you, Simone. <gasps> uh oh. So, friend of the show, Henry Casey, I, I, I did an interview with him today, and he he brought something to my attention. Christina, let me know if this rings true to you, too. Okay. He made me aware that every single Simone ad read on this show is actually just riffing on a Bioshock character. No. And it's so true. Like, it's that old-timey thing. Like, that's you. That's you. Your 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 career is based on ripping off Bioshock. I've been accused of doing Andrew Ryan voice in all of my ad reads, and I think to some extent <laughs> that's true. And Henry should say it. That's fine. I mean, wow. Um, I also got a message, uh, and I'm trying to find it right now. Oh, I got a message uh, from a person who I didn't ask if I could say their name, so I'm not going to say it, but this is regarding our CrossFit story last week, and I'll message them after this just to see if it's okay. Apparently, the acronyms, this person is a personal trainer uh, and says that the acronyms are for written purposes only. So that (laughs) that is important for our reference. Uh, So thank you, person, for DMing me on Instagram. Uh, Do not worry about invading my privacy. I appreciate the correction. Um, And I hope that you enjoyed the episode in any case. (laughs) I think we're still going to say them out loud just for comedic effect. I am definitely going to. All right. Our first segment today requires a special guest, and that person is Basecamp co-founder and race car driver and doer of a million other things. David Heinemeyer Hansen, who has also just launched in beta the new email app. Hey, welcome to the show, David. Thank you. So before we get started, I have to ask, what do you drive for a race car? Because I'm huge into collecting Porsches, restoring Porsches, all of that. So what are you driving right now? Well, let's start with that. Porsches. Oh, um, really? Which yes. one? I So racing-wise, actually, even this year, I was racing the Porsche 911 RSR. Oh, wow. Which is the 911 that goes racing around the 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. RSR, that is a, that is a stunner of a car. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to talk about this offline. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe of all the races you did Le Mans, which is <laughs> so notoriously brutal. Yeah, that that's my. It, it was the whole reason, basically, for me to get into professional racing was to go to Le Mans. And did that in 2012, won my class in 2014, and... Did it for eight years. And then this year, which was going to be perhaps the ninth, the race got, uh, well, right now it's Well, it was vir- it's virtual, right? It, it just went virtual. I didn't do the virtual version. I watched it. It was awesome. Yeah. My husband, uh, I don't have a driver's license, but he's very into racing and that sort of thing. So he watched the, the I, I was the shocked how good it was. Yeah, I thought like... Yeah. I'm doing some sim racing just for for training, and I'm not necessarily the biggest fan, even though I love video games. Yeah. But watching that thing, it was amazing. I mean, y- you kind of had to squint to see that it was virtual. It looked just like the real thing. All the camera angles, everything. Did you have any regrets of not doing it this year? None whatsoever. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at the beach with the kids. It oh, was the enough. last weekend before we were going to launch Hey, I, I didn't need like 24 hours of uh, exhaustion. <laughs> right Especially, especially given what happened. I'm glad I did not do it. <laughs> so, so so before we get into what happened, can you just give us an overview for the audience? What is Hey? Sure. Hey is our new email service integrated with its own email clients. That's a completely fresh take on how to do email. We built uh, everything from the ground up, reimagined just about everything you could about how email works, even how you receive email and whether you can receive email. Uh, perhaps one of the star features we have here is something called the screener, 
which is something when you've tried it, you think like, why didn't email work like this forever? Basically, no one can get to your inbox, as we call it, um, the important box, unless you give them permission versus every other email app basically is if they have their email, your email address, they can email you. They can get a slice of your attention right there, right then. And this was one of the many ways in which we thought like, you know what, that's wrong. That's bad. We got we to gotta do better here. And email to me is one of those, I've been emailing for, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. I think I got my first email address in 95, maybe. Um, and it basically hadn't changed in that time, like <laughs> the inbox, for example, how that works, the little games I was playing with red or unread have been the same for 25 years. Yeah. And you know what? Um, no wonder that so many people did not like email, that email didn't exactly get to have the greatest rep in the last, <laughs> let's say, 10, 15, perhaps even 20 years, because email was a drag for a lot of people. And uh, I think that's just such a shame because the core of email is wonderful. The core of email is writing long form considered writing. I think one of the biggest changes for me in email in the last few years has been Gmail's dividing of the inbox into social promotion and inbox. But you have a different take on that that is a little more that allows people to be a little more discerning and kind of get to the business of what they're doing <laughs> in their inbox. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Or do you want me to explain yes. it with my bad no, words? No, I, I think... Um, <laughs> The, the, one of the main differences is we have, um, we call it hey or hi instead of AI, and it's human intelligence instead of artificial intelligence. Google is full of a lot of very smart PhDs who know everything about machine learning in ways that I don't. And yet, uh, those machines take a while to learn. They get it wrong pretty often. And when they do, it's a really bad experience. When the wrong email gets filed in the wrong promotion, social, whatever filter, or even ends up in spam, even though it's someone you've been emailing with for two years, yeah. which is something that's happened mm -hmm. to me mysteriously often, um, you think, do you know what? Maybe I could just make the decisions. So that's what we've doubled down on, that all email that comes in, you make the decision of where it goes. And we've just pre-designed some ways of consuming email, which is also not just like a bunch of different identical inboxes. So we have this feature, for example, called the feed, which is where all your newsletters, all your long reads, all your, do you know what? If I get to it, that's great. And if I don't, it's fine. Um, stuff goes that doesn't even track whether you read it or not, right? We've been so stuck in this metaphor of read or unread and all inboxes work like that. Well, you know what? Hey, doesn't work like that for a bunch of the inboxes. The inbox, the main one, yep, you got. You can see whether you read it or not. The feed, no, it's like a stack of newspapers. If you didn't read yesterday's newspaper, like that newspaper is not nagging you saying like, hey, I'm still on red. Here's a counter. Here's a little red dot. Um, no, you just, you throw it out. And that's how we intended for the feed to work and kind of have a similar theory about the, um, the paper trail, which is the other main box where you put things in, which is just stuff like these are receipts. These are all the things you may want to need later. But it's really important that you make that determination of whether stuff goes in there or whether you see it right away. So I have to say, I was, um, yeah, I saw this product and loved the thing that you were saying about from the beginning, which was we don't want Hay to be a product that you pay attention to. We want it to kind of be in the background so you don't have to think about it. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I want from email. Because for me, I've got like 10 email addresses from, you know, like you move companies, you do yep. different things, and it goes into this giant pile. And it's like, political newsletters and receipts and all of that is just this unholy nightmare that I miss things from. I started using this and just immediately, like I forwarded all those email addresses to my Hey address and it's already just wonderful. Like if Christina's emailing me, I want a push notification for that, right? Like I don't mind a heads up yes. on that right away. I don't need that for my freaking Panera receipt <laughs> if I'm ordering right. some soup. It's It really is a wonderful product. And I think this is going to tie into our, our next part of this. But I, I really feel like Gmail has gotten to the point where there's there's a lot of competition that could happen in this space. And I, I really do think you've brought something to market that's truly disruptive. So I think you should be very proud of that. 
Well, thank you. I think this is, we keep going back to the last time, sort of like it was a phenomenon that people were excited about email was Gmail. That was 2004. Well, it was Gmail, but then there was there was a what was Mailbox, which Dropbox bought and got rid of, and there right. there were a number oh. of uh, you know kind of email startups, right. Accompli, which which Microsoft, who disclosure I work for, you know bought, and that kind of became Outlook, and there was one that I believe uh, Salesforce got. But you're right. I mean, probably the last time there was excitement where people were excited was I was still in college when Gmail came out, and I a friend of mine was like an intern at Google, and got me an invite like, you know, two or three weeks after it was announced. And it was announced on like April Fool's Day. And it was like, we nobody could believe that it was a real thing. It was like, what? I, a gigabyte of, of email for free? Right. What are you, are you talking about? <laughs> you know, people were selling invites, you know, like like for real money, like on eBay. That's too So funny. yeah, you're right. It's probably been like 15, 16 years since there's been kind of excitement around this space. And, and then then what happened was, of course, that Gmail ended up with the lion's share of all marketplace uh, of, of market share, right? And today mm-hmm. in the U.S., something like 55% of all emails sent in the U.S. come from Gmail. And if you then add up uh, the two other major players, which is Verizon that ro- owns AOL Mail and, and their own uh, Yahoo Mail, and then you add in Microsoft with Outlook, you have three major companies controlling 85% of all the emails sent back and forth. And you know what? There hasn't been a ton of innovation from those three. And of course, there hasn't really been a need to. When you sit on 85% of the market, you don't need to do anything. It's kind of the same thing that we went through with, with web browsers. When Microsoft had a monopoly through Internet Explorer, they disbanded the team. Like, why do you need to innovate when you sit on 95% market share? You don't, right? So Gmail looks pretty much the same as it did 10 years ago, as it almost did 16 years ago. There's been some updates, and they pulled some stuff in from this uh, inbox experiment they did for a little while. But the fundamentals are unchanged. And you know what? After 16 years, it's time to change the fundamentals. Yeah, I agree. I want to ask how you feel launching an email app in a world where there is such a a near monopoly on email? Because I I feel like if somebody launched a new social media app nowadays, I'd be like, okay, you have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I guess TikTok kind of would be the the parallel where they did create a new social network that was successful, but it's so, so difficult because of the saturation. Do you see yourself in a similar position launching a new email app? Or are you optimistic about being the TikTok of email apps, if I can say such a horrible sentence. <laughs> well, it's clear that in, in some ways, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. <laughs> I mean, who decides to go up against Gmail? Not only is it a sort of near monopoly status, it is one of the biggest tech companies that's behind it, and they're giving it away for free, right? We're pretty crazy trying to think that we can roll up and then charge for email and then think we're going to make a dent. Well, part of it is that we don't have to be TikTok, right? We don't need 200 million users of, hey, there's a wonderful business here. If we get, I don't know, 50,000 people using it, 100,000 people using it, it'd be amazing if we get 200,000 people using it, which is still just a drop in the ocean. I don't know how many users Gmail have right now, but I'm sure it's hundreds of millions, right? So for us to amass... 200,000 users. I mean, it barely register on their radar, but it's sure going to register on the radar of those 200,000 people. It's going to mm-hmm. register for us. I mean, we're a small company. We're 56 people. We don't need to be big. We don't want to be big. This is this is great. Life is pretty good at, at 50 people at a, at a company. We get to build great products for a small number of people who really like what we do, because that's the other thing. The reason why Hay feels like a breath of fresh air is because it's opinionated to a fault. We have all sorts of weird decisions that are not mass market friendly, right? Like we do weird things like not implement signatures just because we have (laughs) like a strong opinion about all the footer crap that's floating around in email. You don't Um, support IMAP. uh, Exactly. All these decisions where you go like, wait, that's not what customers would ask for. Like no customer is going to show up to our door and say, hey, I wish you didn't implement signatures, right? Like you, that's not going to that's not a thing. So we implemented hey to be the best damn email service that we would want to use. And a lot of that includes not doing certain things which 
automatically just limits your reach and your market and, and so forth. And it's fine. It doesn't, we don't, we're competing against Gmail in the sense that Gmail is just dominant, but we're not really mm. competing against Gmail. Like we're not trying to steal their 200 million users tomorrow or something. That's actually, that's really refreshing. And I think it is, I, I think you're right that on one level, you don't really have to compete with them because I can use, Hey, I, I sound. I can use Hey and still keep my email, my Gmail addresses, and I'm I am planning to like for certain accounts keep a Gmail address, and for some of them I'm now I'm trying totally. out forwarding them to Hey just so I can experience it. So I, I think you are in a, a nice place where people don't necessarily need to like draw a battle line, <laughs> you know. Part, part of that is economics. So yeah. Basecamp, the company behind Hey, has been around for twenty years. And we've been a profitable software company um, during that time. We don't have VC money. We don't have uh, investors telling us you need to show exponential growth. Um, so it's okay for us to say, like, you know what? 50,000 would be good. 100,000 would be great. And 200,000 would be amazing. If I told that in a pitch deck to some Silicon Valley VCs, Thrown they'd be laughing. The what are you talking about, 200,000? You need 200 million. Go big or go bust. Right. And, and we can afford in the literal sense, as in we have the money to do so, not to be part of that game, that it doesn't have to be that, that small is not a stepping stone. Yeah. So that actually brings us to a good segue because you're talking about you don't have to be part of the VC game. But there is another game that you have become uh, kind of entrenched in um, as this app launches this week, and, and that is the App Store game. And, and we've talked uh, previously on, on other episodes of the show over the last you know five years or so about kind of the capricious nature of, of App Store rejections and different rules. And when Hey was released, so it's it's available for iOS, Android, Mac, um, and uh, and Windows. Um, it's also you know available on the web. When the iOS app was released this week, it was available. I got it. Brie got it. Simone got it. Um, And then when you went to issue an update, that was when um, you were uh, basically blocked from from issuing the update uh, because – there was, I, I guess, you got you got something back from the reviewer saying that you were not in compliance with with App Store rules. Is that correct? Yes. So on just Friday, which already feels like it's forty years ago, <laughs> it we was. were approved with our version one zero of the app, and we all celebrated. And I mean, it's always, as you say, it's nail biting for anyone to submit your app to go through this. We'd been working on that app for over a year, right? You want it to go through. And we thought like, hey, they might flag something technical. Maybe we missed something or some of the tests will find something. And we were trying to get ready for a launch on Monday. So it was a little nail biting to to do that. But we'd been working on the app for over a year. We felt pretty good about it. And the app sailed through review. It, It got a review. It got approved. It was ready to go in the app store. Then on Monday, just as we launched the service, we submitted the first update, version v1.0.1, that just had a bunch of bug fixes. And we get this rejection back that looks like a form letter, right? Like it didn't necessarily look like even a human wrote it. Like a human just pushed a button saying, hey, um, we're going to deny your your update because you're not in compliance with section 311, which says that you're supposed to well, their interpretation of it at least, says that you're supposed to offer in-app purchase for the subscription service. And we thought like, that's strange. I mean, there's a bunch of other email apps that uh, don't have in-app purchases of subscriptions, whether it's Gmail or Outlook Mm -hmm. or Fastmail. We at Basecamp have been sort of had an app in the app store for the past, I don't know, six years that work exactly the same as, hey, you buy your subscription on the web and then you download an iOS client for that subscription. Maybe there was just a mistake. So we submit again. Um, A bunch of people told us, you know what? The uh, app store is kind of like a wheel of misfortune. You just roll the (laughs) wheel again if you get a bad uh, reviewer and it's going to be fine. So we roll the wheel again and and another rejection rolls in. We're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Then we get a call from someone at Apple who called our lead developer on the iOS team and said, mm, this is not a mistake. Like, you, we have reviewed it. We've gone to the app review board, I think it's called. Um, yeah. And they have certified that this rejection is correct. And you are now to give us a timeline by which you will have uh, agreed for us to take 30% of all revenue through this app 
or we're going to take your app off the app store. And that's where the alarm bells just went like, wait, what? Like as in do, not even processing what's being said here. It's like, <laughs> how, how does any of this make sense? Like we've been working on this for two years. We're ready to go. You approved our app on Friday. And now you're threatening essentially to bust our kneecaps and um, potentially even put us out of business with this product. And, what? And, and just to let our listeners know, because we have a lot of uh, Apple developers that listen to Rocket, and just to go down the checklist of obvious things that Hay is not doing, there's no link in the app to go buy it in their store to spend the $99 to subscribe to it. There's no link to that from the app. They're not trying to get away around it that way. Um, you know, there's there's... <sighs> It's, it's, if you look at the category itself of the people that are competing with, hey, like Gmail, I pay for G Suite. I happily pay for G Suite, uh, mostly for the cybersecurity features. Um, so G Suite, this is the exact same category in the app, on the app store. You know, it's mail, and then I go to Google, and I pay for it on Google's website, and then I use my credentials to log into it on the Gmail uh, app on my iPhone, which makes sense, right? Because it's not really using the Apple. This isn't like a game, right? Like where I'm accessing SpriteKit or right. Xcode mm -hmm. or something I very heavily use. It's it's just incidental. It's a client They've, app. It's right, a client it's app. It's a client app. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this is similar to, um, uh, you know, we, we talked about this, I guess, when it happened probably six, seven months ago. Netflix dropped the ability to subscribe and pay for Netflix using your iTunes account. So you used to be able to, within the Netflix app, sign up for a Netflix account um, and, and choose to pay for your subscription using iTunes. And Netflix was tired of, of giving Apple a 30% cut, you know, for the first year, 15% after that. And, and there have been some talks that they might even have a, a special deal, but they, they were tired of that. And so they removed all references to that and basically said, okay, if you want to use the app, you have to already have an account. They are not, a, they just like, hey, there's not a link for you to go to Netflix to sign up. Basically, it's just understood if you're going to use this client, you need to have already uh, created an account. Um, and, and this situation, um, uh, was that there was never an in-app purchase for Hay. It was never something that you'd intended to do. I'm assuming because you didn't want to pay the 30% in-app purchase fee. Um, and Apple came back and said, in order for you to make this app available in the app store, because you have a service subscription offering through your website, you have to also offer that same subscription as an in-app purchase. Is, is that basically... What's that? That's exactly what it. That's exactly okay. it. And this is why we were so surprised. I mean, at Basecamp, as I said, we have another app, Basecamp, um, that works exactly the same way. We've been updating it and, and having it in the app store for years and years. So I've seen some theories on Twitter that this was like a, a marketing campaign that we planned to get denied because what? Like that would be good not to have right. the app available and be able to update it because we'd get some PR for that. I mean, first of all, I'm not that good at four-dimensional chess. I mean, how much did you have to plan to first get it approved and then uh, get it denied afterwards? It, I was, it blows my mind. Like, we legitimately thought we had done everything. And we've done everything because, I mean, this isn't our first rodeo. I think our first app in the App Store was maybe 2013 or something like that. We've been there for a long time. We've learned that there are certain things that aren't even that you stated. Do. Yeah, that right. you don't do. That's even the unwritten rules. There's the written rules, which is things like Section 311. And then there's all the unwritten rules of what you're not supposed to do. And we've modeled our language. For example, you download the Hey app on the iOS store, which you can still do. It's V1. It's thankfully, relatively bug-free. Um, you download the app. You're presented with a login screen. That's it. There's no link to sign up. There's no nothing. There's a help uh, link that basically says if you push it, oh, sorry, you, you can essentially only use the service if you have a subscription from somewhere. Figure it out. Which we model that language <laughs> off the Netflix screen because Netflix does the same thing, right? It gives this weird kind of obtuse, vague language because that's what they've apparently found out. Like, that's what Apple will accept. Well, it turns out that Apple will accept that for certain people uh, and not for right. others. And that was really what just got me fired up here. That's what I really find disturbing about same. this. You know, we're having a real discussion in this country about the app store um, and, you know, basically monopolies in tech overall. Elizabeth Warren 
came out very strongly saying she thought the App Store should be broken up. I necessarily didn't agree with that because of cybersecurity, but we're having a conversation about that. What really gets me here is Google has one set of rules, part of this this duopoly, right? You know, they are huge. They get a special deal. But then you come along. You're a mid-sized company, 50 people. And then you are getting asked to basically be charged rent to be on the app store. If that doesn't just reek of anti-competitiveness, I I don't know what does. It's it's just a profoundly disappointing move by Apple. And I have to say this. The part I fundamentally don't understand is we as developers can have vigorous discussions about you know, SceneKit, SpriteKit, this API, that framework, whether it's good or not. What I don't understand is all the people I've seen on Twitter rushing to Apple's defense. A $1.5 right. trillion dollar company they, they don't need you to carry water for them. Friend. No. They don't need your help. And I just, I don't, I truly don't understand how any reasonable person could be rooting for Apple in this situation. Yeah, well, what's interesting is Protocol, David Pierce over at Protocol, actually, Apple basically talked to him and, and um, he paraphrased, but basically they told him that it was a mistake for Hay to get accepted into the App Store from the be- from the beginning. Um, and and I consider myself pretty adept at the various App Store rules. I've been covering, you know, the the various draconian kind of policies and what is or isn't enforced, you know, since the App Store came to be. And I wasn't aware of what I guess is now a distinction between consumer and prosumer, which, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I think if you're charging $100 a year for an email app, that's not necessarily consumer, even if it's not straight business to business. It's really not going after the same audiences who's genuinely signing up for a, a Gmail app. Um, and, but, but that's one distinction. And the other thing is whether it's a reader or some other sort of, you know, like designation. Um, these are all things that I don't think any of us have been aware of before. And uh, just for some clarity, David, you know, your position on this is you, you if I, I'm, I'm guessing that if, if you had wanted to take advantage of the in-app pricing so that you could benefit from signups from within the app store. Um, you personally don't want to pay the 30% to Apple, but if that was something that you thought that you were going to get benefit out of, that would be something that you would agree to do. What you're objecting to is the idea that you have to make that an option that you, you don't have the ability to simply opt out. Is that correct? Right. There's no choice. And when there's no choice with a monopoly, there's not like we're not business partners here. There's just a demand. And what can we do? If, if we launch, we've launched Hey, if we're not on iOS, we haven't actually launched Hey, right? Like we're invisible to a very large percentage of potential buyers. We can't afford to say no. And I think that that's the part that perhaps some people are missing here, that Apple right. is not just another vendor of hardware and software. They're a monopoly. They're part of, well, they're part of a duopoly together with Google. And then other rules apply. When you are the sole gold uh, gatekeeper to getting software onto the iPhone, like it's not just the marketplace, right? Like there are different rules that literally apply. And what was interesting about that distinction between whether it's consumer or um, professional software is that's not written anywhere. I've read the App Store (laughs) rules quite closely, particularly following this. There's no mention of that anywhere. This distinction was simply offered as a hand-wavy excuse to a journalist off record or on background. On background. Exactly. And that's pretty weak. I mean, if that's what they want to go for, that's pretty weak. Like, if if you want the rules to include some distinction between business and and consumer software, write it down. Give us a chance to prepare for that. I think it's also bunk, as you say. Um, There's tons of people using their email for for business. We have thousands of of users on Hey! already. They're using their Harricons for business. I'll tell you that. And and even if that distinction is sort of a little subtle... um, We'd always attend it for Hey for Business. Like that's literally going to be a thing we're rolling out. We've already talked about it well in advance of the launch that you're going to be able to buy Hey for your company in such a way that um, employees at your company just download the app. They'll never pay for it because there's an account manager at your company. They'll pay for it and that'll be that. So all levels of this, the arguments just fall apart. 
Yeah, I mean, and especially since Basecamp, I mean, historically, I know that you have, you know, different, I guess, kind of, you know, individual plans and whatnot. But I, I would, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would guess that most of your users are, you know, small, medium-sized businesses maybe going all the way up. But it's it's not like consumers aren't people who are using Basecamp. no. no. That's exactly it. It's small to medium-sized businesses. That's the bread and butter for us, has been for 20 years. I think the average account size on Basecamp is something like eight people or 10 people. So that's that's what we know. That's what we want to target to. In fact, Hey was intended to roll out to that audience first. And then we actually hit a bunch of technical issues on like, oh, how do you get how do you get someone to switch? How do you get someone to try a new email system for a business? And we went, that's actually quite difficult. And then we started thinking, oh, you know what? G Suite, you can't try that. They just assume that whoever's going to buy G Suite and turn over their domain to them, they've probably right. tried Gmail on the consumer side. So we thought, like, yeah, you know what? That's that's not a bad idea. We're gonna we're gonna try that. We're gonna launch it for sort of individuals first, and whether those individuals use it in terms of a prosumer or consumer or professional setting, sort of that's up to them. But then they get to to learn it, play with it. If they then like it, hopefully by the time we have Hey for Business ready in a couple of months, um, they'll want to buy it for their company. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this, too, um, is that I, I can't help but wonder, you know, with the ways these rules are. And I think that this is the thing. There's been a kind of a lot of, uh, I think, uh, secondary talk about the percentage that Apple takes from their cut. And that's an interesting discussion. But I, I honestly don't feel like that's even the issue here. The issue here is that you want the choice. And yes. and you've, you've simply said, we don't want to have an in-app purchase. This is a client. But I remember, you know, it, but, but if you had an API for Hey, which which you don't right now, and I, Joe Developer, Jane Developer, if I wrote a client that was able to access it, uh, I would not have the ability to you know do any sort of in app purchase. My app, I I doubt very strongly that that would be like kicked out of the App Store. You know, like if it was a third party client to to access something like that, um, which which to me I, I think just strikes why this seems even more capricious. And just uh, it, it just doesn't make sense based on how the existing rules have always been. Having said that, and I'm curious to know from you because you've been getting tons and tons of feedback about this. I've actually been hearing from people, um, uh, including some very, very, very high profile um, developers, very high profile, that they've run into this same thing where they've been having their apps blocked Um over in-app purchase issues. Have you been hearing this from, from anyone else? Because I, I heard about one, um, I, I, I can't mention it, but I heard about one um, right before our show that I was kind of shocked by. Um, have, have, you, have you heard from, from other people kind of through the grapevine since you've gone public about uh, people who've gone, have run into similar um, issues? Have I ever. My Twitter <laughs> DMs have exploded with people saying, this happened to me. My email has exploded. I am like hundreds, literally hundreds of DMs deep from developers telling me this happened to me. But this was not in the public because every single developer is absolutely petrified that Apple is going to squash them if they get on Apple's bad side. And you know what? They have really good reason to believe that. The Apple uh, rules used to have a sentence in there saying... Something uh, kind right. to don't don't go to the press exactly yeah, yeah. don't go to the press yeah. that's not going to help you right that's not Which is a, a very... lie because it did <laughs> right well first of all it did right but it's also right. not a very thinly veiled threat that if you take our decisions anywhere else if you talk to anyone else we will hurt you right like it, it's not exactly like they're being subtle about it so no wonder that this is the message that developers heard very loud and very clear even if they've since scrubbed that just because it was just too brazen to have in there um they've scrubbed it but developers heard it and they've been keeping quiet and i too have been getting uh dms not just for independent developers but from some seriously large apps who are furious about this issue, but don't feel like they can speak out because yep. Apple controls everything. And this is why the rules must be different. They're not giving you a business opportunity here. They're saying, do you want to exist? You're going to pay. Do you not want to exist? Okay, fine. We'll kick you out of the App Store and it'll be like you do not exist, right? Like This is the, the thing we have to keep coming back to. Apple has absolute power when it comes to allowing people to get their software onto the iPhone, which is just so interesting because we went through this on the Mac side too. We were built, we built a Mac app. And at first, we actually intended to put that into the App Store. Um, 
because we thought like, hey, that's great. They'll handle auto updates. And I don't know, perhaps because we haven't had an app in the App Store, I didn't even think about the fact that um, that actually has the same rules. If you put an app in the Mac store, they also have these rules about in-app uh, purchases, and they also want 30% of your business. So when we submitted our app and they said like, oh, you, we hadn't even scrubbed those links, right? Like we knew everything we had to do on iOS because we've been doing it for 10 years. Um, we didn't do any of that stuff on the Mac side because we hadn't put a, 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 an app in the Mac store before. So we got the denial and we were like, oh, yeah. Of course, it's going to be the same accord. And we're like, <laughs> never mind. So we just took our app and we put it on our website. And if you want to use our native app for the Mac, you just go to our website and download it. And it was like, fair game, right? We have a choice. We can get native software onto your Mac. You just go to our website to download it. You don't have that choice when it comes to the iPhone. There's no side loading yeah. here. We can't send yeah. someone to our website and then they get to download the app. Apple is the sole gatekeeper. And this is why the rules are different, which ironically enough, in terms of timing, on the day we were rejected, the EU comes out saying we're launching two new investigations into exactly these abuses of the App Store. And what do those abuses focus on? Those two factors. Apple is the sole goat, uh, gatekeeper. Therefore, they get to set onerous terms. And those onerous terms include these absurd rights, right, which haven't changed in a decade. It's been 30 percent. The main cut has been 30 percent since the launch of the App Store. They've faced no competitive pressure. They've essentially colluded, if not explicitly, then tacitly with Google, who, surprise, surprise, also 30 percent in the Google Play Store. <laughs> um, and then uh, compare that to competitive markets. We do credit card processing, as we've done since we launched in 2004. We have been through several credit card processors, and usually there the competition is over like 10 basis points. And we pay between 1.8 to 2.4%, I think it is, for, for these credit card charges, right? Apple doesn't ask for, let's say, twice that, three times that, what, four times that? <laughs> no, they say, like, we want 10 times that or more, right? You're like, right. wait, right. what? Yeah. Like, how can, no. you, how can you do that? You can do that because there's no choice. Are you going to be involved? Do you know? I know it literally just happened today, but do you see your company getting involved in this case with the European Union investigating Apple for antitrust? I, I hope so. So cool. <laughs> actually just um, a little bit of history here. Uh, I testified in front of Congress uh, in January, I think it was, on the House subcommittee uh, for, for antitrust investigation. They had a hearing uh, about sort of big tech. And I was there together with Sonos and PopSocket and Tile. And I brought testimony exactly around this issue that Apple's abuse of the App Store. In that case, I was just sort of speaking on the behalf of the developer community. We hadn't really faced anything um, threatening at that point. We'd had a minor skirmish on the, the Basecamp app, and but that was quickly resolved and we went back to business. I was just talking about like, you know what? This isn't fair. This isn't right. So I was trying to speak up for that when I was invited. Um, but that was theoretical in January, right? And and one of the things the chairman of the committee, Salini, left me with was, do you know what? Um, we haven't been able to get very many developers to speak forth. Everyone is petrified of Apple and retribution. So let me know if you face any retribution from this. And um, lo and behold, I had to send them an email just yesterday saying, hey, <laughs> remember that thing you said about uh, uh -huh. reaching out in case um, things got funny? Well, they've gotten very funny. So yeah. we've engaged with regulators. I spoke with the Department of Justice uh, just a month ago on their investigation into Apple. Um, and then just this morning, I spoke with, um, with Spotify, who's been leading charge in Europe together with the European Union forming this uh, investigation. And uh, it's not like this is a base camp issue. Right. Like th mm -hmm. this is a major thing that's sort of been building for a very long time. And I think Apple's abuse of power is finally being taken seriously enough by enough people, by enough regulators and justice departments and large companies who said, you know what? Enough. This is too much. Yeah. Um, and hopefully something's going to come of that. And we're going to try to push as hard as, as we can, exactly because we can, right? I don't right. have to be personally petrified that Apple is going to bankrupt me, right? We've, we've been in software for 20 years. I've done fine. So I can afford to speak out, which then to me, means it's an obligation to do so. Because, as I said, my DMs are full of people who can literally not afford it. If Apple squashes them, Apple is stealing their livelihood. I, and I, really, I really do hope this is a moment we, we finally have a, a conversation about this. Because it seems like 
for Apple, there are two paths here, right? Like the first is you end up with antitrust legislation, their reputation takes a blow, or even worse still, you could have someone, I mean, I'm of the opinion, I don't want the app store broken up. Uh, I like it curated. I think there's cybersecurity benefits there. If I want a, an, an a smartphone where you can load anything to on, I would be on Android. So I, I think for Apple, it's they're really faced with like either regulators coming in or I really hope they'll just do the right thing here and treat you with the exact same rules they're treating, you know, fast mail and Gmail by. And and the last thing I have to say here is you know, WWDC is is next year, is next week rather. We all know what we're going to see when they start that up, it's going to start with a a very slickly produced video talking about how much Apple loves and values developers. And they just really admire the wonderful things that that developers make and they'll have photogenic children and <laughs> you know ethnically diverse people and, and all of that. It's wonderful. It warms my heart. But here you have a product that is genuinely innovative that certainly solves a pain point that I have with email. And Apple is choosing to crush a competitor by applying uneven rules to it. So that's my very straightforward hope. I hope that Apple will hold you to the exact same standards that holds Google to. And I hope they'll, they'll get better sense about this because this is a PR nightmare. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to let you get some rest now. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try. Lunch. All right. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate of, it. Of course. Thanks, David. All right. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Zojo. Zojo is a cross-platform development tool for creating native apps for the desktop, mobile, web, for the desktop, for desktop, mobile, web, and Raspberry Pi. I'm good at reading. With Android support coming soon, Zojo uses native controls so your app looks and acts as it should on every platform. And you can build your UI with drag and drop. <gasps> you know, you guys know how I feel about drag and drop. Use, it's great. One Using one straightforward programming language to implement the functionality. With Zojo, you can build apps 10 times faster than with other tools because you can share code between all of the platforms that you want to support. Using Zojo, you can cross-compile so you can build a native Mac OS app right from your PC. What? That's nuts. Zojo has been around for over 20 years and is great for everyone, from new to professional developers alike. With over 400,000 users worldwide, Zojo apps can be found in any conceivable category. Go to zojo.com connected now and see how many companies you know that are using Zojo today. It's free to learn, it's free to use for learning and development, but you'll need a license to build standalone applications. But guess what? I can help you out with that. Rocket listeners can save 20% with the code ROCKET. That is zojo.com slash rocket, xojo.com slash rocket to get 20% off with the code ROCKET. Thank you so much, Zojo, for sponsoring this episode of Rocket and Relay FM. <laughs> ah, yeah, it just feels good, man. Feels good to sing. I haven't sung in so long, except for every week on this show. Wow. <laughs> we are going to have uh, a couple lightning topics for this back half of the show. And the first one is, of course, on Sony's PlayStation 5 event, which happened Thursday of last week. That's Thursday the 11th of June, where they finally revealed um, nothing about the PlayStation 5, really, except for that games will be on it, and also the way it looks. Yes. As if responding to that dreaded statement, a large truck sounded its horn as I announced, <laughs> the way it looks. The way it looks. Alright, lightning round. Christina, one word on the way it looks. Awful. Brianna? I love it. Ooh! <laughs> uh, me silly so i will describe to you the playstation 5 uh, many people have described it as a, a modernist building on a tech campus that replaced yep. an older building that was torn down it's got a black central it's section bar it's barclays center 
It's Barclays Center, actually. Yeah, in two swooping white wings. Uh, and there are two models, one that has a disk drive, one without a disk drive. Uh, it also, by all accounts, by all of these sort of comparisons between, uh, like, using the USBs to calculate the relative size of the console compared to previous consoles, it seems to be that it might be absolutely huge. It's like the biggest console. Oh, it's I, huge. I, it, yeah. It's like massive. Like, it's not going to fit in anybody. Like, people are mad about the Xbox Series X. They're like, how is this going to fit in my cabinet? Yeah, uh, this isn't going to fit in your cabinet either, guys. Like, that, like neither of these like that that one's kind of you know tall and, and is its whole thing this is like yeah it's like the size of, of a of a audio receiver from like 1985 or something brianna counterpoint okay so look in in sony's defense they have dealt with this pretty much every generation though this is this is much starker i urge you to like reach into your mind and paint a mental picture of the ps1 Mm-hmm. Very different design language than the PS2, kind of the most generic console, right? Right. And the PS3, like, think about how that looked when that first came out, that sexy curved top to it. I mean, that was that was a groundbreaking design. It was simple. It was beautiful. You've got the PS4, boring, like, uh, angled, uh, you know, like, square, and now you've got this, which looks like it, it looks to me like an it looks like the anime transformation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like where blades come it out does. everywhere. It looks like a Gundam. Armor. It does. It looks like a Gundam, or it looks like it looks like a fifties car. Yeah. Yeah. Or I a mean, Wi-Fi router, as many people have said. It really does look like a Wi-Fi router. A lot of people have just taken like white pieces of paper and put it on the outside of their Wi-Fi routers and been like, "Boom! This is what it looks like." Now, um, Brianna, I have a theory about why you like this. And okay, I think please. it's because when I imagine like your taste, your taste in cars, your taste in motorcycles, your taste in gadgets, I assume the interior of your home must be all white and chrome yeah. and shiny and new. Yeah. And that when you yeah. put the PS5 on your like glass shelf, it's going to look like a majestic sculpture. Whereas when I put the PS5 on my, like, kind of peeling uh, country farmhouse media center <laughs> covered in, like, baskets and cords, it's going to look like nonsense. Confirm uh, or deny. I, I feel very attacked right now. And be your dead on. Um, I mean, I just, I, look, can we just be straight here? Every Xbox has been ugly as hell. Okay, well, I can't either. But you know what I mean. The Mm -hmm. Xbox designs have been bad. Just flat out bad. Um, And... I, I, I I think the S... I think the 1S and I think the 1X have been fine. They're They're cubes. I mean... I okay, think agree all to consoles disagree, are but ugly. It's, it's just... It's not trying to do anything. And it's like, yeah, if I had that design, I would trim more off the edges. I would probably not have it like flying off the sides of it. I would integrate it more. There are things I would change there. But I respect Sony for doing something besides shipping beige trying like squares. You know? I think that's like, fair, especially considering like as many people pointed out, the Series X looks like a fridge. Yeah. <laughs> it's it just does. A, a black box. Um, I mean, it looks like a PC. It looks like a little mini PC. That's actually, yeah, yeah, it it does. And I I think that for many years, like for for a few years, consoles went through a phase when they were trying to look a little sci-fi and then they codified into this. We're going to be a black box uh, with some fun angles for you or some stark angles for you. Uh, And if we can't, we're going to try to be unobtrusive, but if we can't be unobtrusive because we're huge... We're just going to be, like, cool. Yeah. And they all look boring. And no, none of them look good on a shelf. It's just... Except except, yeah. except for my Cyberpunk 2077 Xbox, except your which Cyberpunk looks amazing. Except your Cyberpunk 2077 Xbox, which looks amazing. So I do... And to your point, Brie, I do commend Sony for trying to do something a little more fun with their console. Um, I do think it's going to look silly on my shelf. And that's, <laughs> that's it. That's it for that topic. Because we're going to... A zip right on. Oh, this one's so good. Oh. For dessert. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. This is crazy. So, six former eBay executives and employees have been charged by the DOJ for allegedly sending 
uh, so many items, such as a bloody pig mask, a box of live cockroaches, a funeral wreath, uh, self-help books for what to do when your spouse dies, many, some anonymous threatening mail, to a couple that they felt were critical of our great capitalist overlord eBay. The couple in goods concerned ran an online newsletter that covers e-commerce companies, of which eBay is, of course, one. Uh, and apparently, allegedly, these eBay employees, some of which were like C-suite executives, were like, wow, that sucks. Don't talk about eBay that way. Um, and decided to cyberbully them. These, uh, the um, employees involved uh, that were identified have were fired back in September, I believe, after an investigation that started in August. And while they were not charged, eBay's former CEO and communications chief were also named in an indictment about the case. This is absolutely nuts. I have some more details. Do you want me to go into them now or do you want to get your reactions oh, oh, on record? No, 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 no. no, no. no. Please go into them because I, I just, just for, for the audience, we will have uh, the entire like 68 page like uh, indictment as well as some links for your perusal because this stuff is just, this is a it lot. It's so unexpected. And as soon as I saw the headline, I was like, yep, there's dessert. So there were phases of this alleged harassment, uh, phase one being sending the items, such as the bloody pig mask, etc. A pig fetus was apparently purchased, although not sent, because it was, I, I think, flagged as a strange purchase, which, fair enough. Phase two involved uh, allegedly sending an eBay employee, unfortunately named Brian Gilbert, which is the name of my coworker, <laughs> who was a former <laughs> police officer. He was supposed to approach the victims and say, God, this is terrible and help them stop the harassment and thereby generate goodwill towards eBay so that the newsletter would be nice to the company. But phase three of the bullying and stalking involved doing actual surveillance of the couple's home. Right. Like, like they flew from uh, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the Santa Clara Valley, wherever to Massachusetts to surveil this couple away it really is like like that that's a long flight this is where they went wrong because the couple were like hey we're being surveilled and police checked up on the rental car and traced it back to this ebay employee and we're like hey ebay can you help us out with this investigation at which point the employees allegedly interfered with the investigation by lying and fabricating documents to lead detectives down the garden path, um, which is when you really should know that you've yet done effed up. Yeah, yeah. So so one of the guys, so so this is this is what's so nuts to me. So the CEO of eBay, it's basically laid out in eBay's statement and it's kind of implied in the indictment. The CEO, the former CEO was not charged, uh, nor was, uh, but there, but there is, there is a reference to executive one and executive two and Bloomberg and some other people basically reported that executive one is the CEO and executive two is the head of PR and comms, which is just nuts to me. Like this, this is so crazy. When eBay did this investigation, they realized that the CEO was more involved in this than he should have been. And that that was, was definitely part of why he was let go from the company, which is nuts. Like, that this literally came from the highest places. The CEO wasn't sending um, uh, people who uh, wrote a, a, a pretty obscure newsletter. And again, this is not like this is a small, this isn't like this is like a massive like newsletter that everybody gets. Like, this is a pretty obscure kind of newsletter. And they're mad about this. So they're sending, they tried to send a pig fetus. Uh, fortunately, the supplier was like, "Okay, no. something doesn't seem right with this." But you know, but they sent like a bloody a bloody pig mask, which I'm hoping they got off of eBay because that would be perfect. Like, mm. you know, they, they they were putting terrible things on Craigslist. Like this, what this is. This is like harassment. And, this and, is crazy. This, this is, is so crazy. What was also, in, what, here's what's hilarious. So executive one, who again, like has been identified by Bloomberg as the CEO, he like sent to his, uh, you know, comms person, he was like, okay, after we get rid of this couple, let's go after the Wall Street Journal because the WSJ wrote a pretty innocuous and mostly flattering story about them. Like it was, Almost entirely flattering, but I guess maybe there was one sentence that made them mad. 
So like it's it's in the emails. It's like, all right, after we're done taking these people down, we'll go after the WSJ. (gasps) This is insanity. Like this is just I've never like even like Uber did some terrible things. I'm not trying to to say that they that they didn't, but A, not, you know, a public company. B, I can't think of any like the highest levels of the people in the company where they were like this brazen and involved. Like you didn't have formal law enforcement people and people who work in security at the company like working together to not just like harass people, but then to actively try to like impede with um, a, a law enforcement investigation. And then they were even like coming up with names like, okay, let's come up with some people we can blame this on. Like, you know, once they thought that the cops were on to them, we're like, okay, so who, so who are we going to blame it on? Like, who, who are we going to put this on? Like, this is what I don't understand. So, I mean, these are, this is Gamergate tactics, right? Oh yeah. Like, it, it's, it's, so if you think about the psychology of a, a gamer gator, they are someone who feel like they don't have a power and a voice in the world. So they act anonymously to 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 get what they want or to feel empowered. If you're talking about an executive at eBay, this is someone with with power. And I think that's what I, I just can't figure out. Like, there's so many things here I don't understand. A, eBay is like your electric company, right? Yeah. Like, it's just a freaking utility here. They're not someone that really need, like, good press or stories don't really matter because it's just this this thing that we use and don't think about that much, right? Like, they're not in a position where a story of Wall Street Journal is going to impact them. So I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can have someone to access of that much money, power, tools, marketing, the ability to do press, media, all of that, and they don't, like, counter in more reasonable ways. I mean, right. the only thing I can think of is that these are, forgive the phrase, man-children, yeah, that and, and, and women, and, and, and women, there are women involved too, right? Okay, and but, some old enough right. to know better too. Oh, everyone's old right. enough to know better. Again, and, and like one of the guys, like one of the guys, like is a former is a former cop. Right. Like w- w- this is what's so nuts to me is that the people who were doing this were like most of the people were involved in kind of like the security side, meaning they should have ideally been better about covering up their tracks. Right. The fact that that guy was a former cop was the least shocking thing about this. I was, oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, but this this story, I, I really, I'm looking forward to the inevitable, like, Netflix or HBO documentary about this. Um, I, I mean, I'm kind of like, I was I was joking with uh, with Carl and with um, Ernie on, on Twitter. I was like, the three of us, we should write a spec script. And I'm kind of serious because I'm kind of like, this case is nuts. What was, what was really interesting was that I watched, like, the whole, like, nine-minute, um, I guess, press conference that the, 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 the DA or whoever um, in, in Massachusetts, like, like read out. And as he's going through it, it's just getting more and more insane. And I was like, okay, I have to see, you know, um, the, this, this filing. And I was like too lazy to, to get on, on Pacer. So fortunately someone else did for me uh, be, be, before I had to, but I was like, I have to read this because just the, the press conference, I was like, this is like, I, I've seen companies do a lot of nutso stuff like HP um was bugging journalist emails at one point. Oh my god. Because gosh. they were trying to find a link a leaker. Yeah, they and and I don't believe that there were any criminal charges filed, but it was definitely something where I think that that was close, but yeah, they were going after CNET, some other people. This was like, you know, 14 years ago. You know, obviously Uber, you know, had a lot of, you know, kind of like um, you know, they were sending people after Susan Fowler and some other people were like they were hiring private investigators. But this 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 goes to like I, a level uh, that I just can't uh, kind of wrap my mind around. And then again, like we, this, this is over anonymous commenters on uh, like a, a little red, like, you know, um, commerce newsletter and people like unsuck eBay. Like th- this, this is what they're going after. Like can, I, I, I just can't imagine being so mad at online that like, you're like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to find out who unsuck eBay is. And I'm going to take down the people who write this newsletter, which is sometimes critical of us. Like I, I, I just, this is when you're a ten billion dollar company your and you eBay. have thirteen thousand. Your eBay, it's like, I, I, you know, I, I know that that Elon was involved, you know, because of PayPal. But, but wow, like this is crazy. Even for Elon, like even Elon, I don't think would go this far. 
Elon would do it on Twitter. Elon wouldn't do the like knife and dagger, cloak and dagger. No, rather. no, no. He 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 would just do it exactly. He would just do it on Twitter. But like this is even more nuts, I think, than like it, like like you know Elon's like Twitter stuff. Like this is just like I mean, well, it's I, scary because there's like a playfulness to it that is disturbing. Oh yeah, where like pranking and sending somebody they are and actually honestly sexual harassment because I believe they did send pornography to the mm-hmm. couple's neighbors but in the yes, couple's right. name in their name and then Craigslist come over here at 10 p.m any night of the week uh to sw- swing um which is horrible as well no i mean they, they were set they were ideally setting people up to be harassed and to be humiliated and potentially to even be hurt right mm-hmm. like yeah. i i part of me is actually glad that you know it we, we talk about this a lot the the FBI and, and other groups do a really bad job when it comes to, to you know, cyberbullying and, and abuse. I'm actually really glad that it seems like they did a good investigation in this case and that the people are being indicted on these charges because, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, uh, like, let's do more of this because this happens a lot. It's just what what's you're exactly right, though, Brie. Like, this is stuff we expect from Gamergate and you expect from people like, you know, the 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 stereotype is people in their basement no, these are executives who make six-figure salaries for yeah. like a you know a ten billion dollar company. This is crazy. It it's starting to shake my faith in the meritocracy. <laughs> really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our dessert this week. Uh, Christina, what are you up to this week? Uh, well, I'm definitely like watching my back to make sure that I don't get sent any weird, you know, masks. Or anything, so please like try don't not to do that. Start a newsletter about e-commerce, okay? I've talked to you about this. Okay, this is fair. This is fair. I keep promising that I'm going to start a newsletter, but this is why I'm afraid. So, okay, I'm going to do it, but it's not going to be about e-commerce. So, oh, promise that. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm a. You know, um, it, it's it's Juneteenth um, this week, and so I'm going to be um, uh, marching and kind of doing some reflecting and protesting on that end. And I'm um, just doing some stuff uh, for, for work. The end of our fiscal year is coming up. So just getting things kind of settled that way. So, yeah. Brianna, what about you? Uh, just working on game dev stuff. Also, WWDC is next week. So really excited about that. This could be a really great week. Hey, oh, yeah. God, WWDC, that's happening. It's already the middle of freaking June. This week... Um. I'm continuing my work. I do want to highlight that on the skiing forum that I'm a member of, we've had an ongoing saga. Uh, a young <laughs> a young man named Nate underscore underscore shreds with a Z started just posting so many videos this spring about his skiing and just pictures and videos. And he posted like five ski clips in one day. Um, and so he's become a bit of a meme on the forum, but I do want to announce that Nate Shreds, 14-year-old Nate Shreds, was made member of the month on the New Schoolers Forum in May. And somebody <laughs> just wrote a great little blog about him called The Rise of Nate Shreds and about Shredsbaterianism, which is the religion that we founded around him. And there's just generally been some it what started, I think, is like good-natured ribbing and has since grown into this is our son. <laughs> <laughs> on the ski forum oh um, my god you have to show me this link i gotta see it's this it's so though. good i i would die for nate shreds i want him to do well and to succeed in the world everyone loves nate shreds so i just wanted to shout out nate shreds just just you saying this made me a shreds Baderian. just instantly <sighs> boom it happened let it rip free. okay <laughs> may the shred be with you um <laughs> so i'm just kind of appreciating nate shreds right now and wishing that I could be skiing. Um, okay. Hey, Christina, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And you can find my videos for work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And if you do need to email me for some reason, you can email me at uh, Christina at hey.com. And Brianna, what about you? Uh, same thing. If you want to email me, test out the feature uh, at Hey, you can do that at Brianna at Hey.com. Or you can uh, see me on Twitter at Brianna Wu. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and all my videos at youtube.com slash polygon. Oh, wow. I Wow, I didn't talk about this last week. Uh, our Quibi show is taking two weeks off and we're coming back with a three-day-a-week schedule uh, in, starting on June 29th. And we're going to be doing um, slightly longer episodes and being able to go more in-depth on stuff and be less news-focused, more like story-focused. And I'm so excited about it. Um, but yes, so, hey, if you are subscribed to Quibi, stay subscribed because there's going to be more and better speed run of coming at And that's my story. Quibi. Wow. If you like the show, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We super duper appreciate it. Uh, even though we spent like 40 minutes of this episode being mad at Apple, we're still, it's just the place where people find podcasts, folks. That's we the nature. Apple. Look, we, we love Apple. We just don't like these this policies. policy, this yeah. particular policy, you know? Yeah, there we go. And uh, tell a friend about the show. We super appreciate that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 